0: Get 60% off at babble.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Nintendo! Right, let me just make sure this works. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Shot. You, say something. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to welcome, the, welcome. the Nintendo Voice
2: Shot.
1: is in San Francisco. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of October 2nd, 2014. I am your host, Jose Otero, and you are listening or watching IGN's All Nintendo podcast. Joining me once again this week, Brian Altano. Hello, how are you? Less jet lagged? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing better. I'm doing great. Fewer jet Just lags. Just kidding. No. Yeah. And also with us, the man who loves to correct fewer, <laughs> Herr Schneider. <laughs> no, in this case, Willkommen. How are you All doing, right. man? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, folks have a lot to be excited about right now because Smash Brothers for 3DS is about to come out. Yeah I'm, yeah. I'm surprised you're this energetic. I figure you've been playing games late night. Uh, I have been playing other games late night, but I'm still, Smash Brothers still has a special place in my heart. All right, yeah. Okay. I can give you 8.8 reasons. It's a great game. Nice. And uh, you can read that on IGN. But more importantly, by the time you're hearing this, Smash Brothers is out. So you should check it out. Yay. If you're still on the fence about it, remember there is a public demo you can download. Check yeah. it out for free. Try it out and see what you think if not move on but uh you know <clears throat> kind of interesting so we've been talking about smash brothers 3ds for about three weeks straight now three and weeks three years <laughs> yeah it feels it feels like yeah. we've been talking about this for a lot so i thought this week we would focus on maybe something different possibly a small part of smash brothers because uh, that's you know a Trophies? nintendo museum no <laughs> the dog nope <laughs> the dog The Metroid series. What? Ah, Ah, yes. Why don't we talk? Why don't we talk about Metroid? Yeah. Uh, So let's let's start then uh, this journey through the stars once again. Uh, and talk about the first Metroid, which was yeah. on the NES. Um, more importantly, it was on the Famicom in 1986 in Japan. It was for the Famicom disk system, which if you didn't know what the disk system was, this is sort of an add-on peripheral for the family computer, the Famicom in Japan, the NES there. And it was, the game was basically um, on rewritable media. It was a floppy disk. That uh, had copyright protection, and you could basically either buy the disc uh, with, you know, the game art and all that stuff, or if you just had the disc itself, take it to a kiosk. They yeah. would, you know, rewrite and put the game on there, and then you take it home and play it.
2: Really, really cool concept for, you know, back then. Obviously, in the 80s, the home computer craze w- was already underway, right? People were were playing on on various home computers, especially in, in Europe. That's how, how most people played their video games at the time, and just the easy exchange of floppy disks with your friends was a big thing. Of course, most people People didn't pay pay for those games, which really kind of wrecked that yeah. industry. But you know, Nintendo had a, had the clever idea of of building the system where you you can go to any convenience store, any any game store, and, and and put these games on the disc, which you know works amazingly well in metropolitan areas like Tokyo, right, where mm-hmm. you find mm-hmm. one of these at every corner. <laughs> oh, it yeah. was it was just a really cool concept, and of course, Metroid was one of the flagship titles for it, that system. It was
1: uh, Legend of Zelda was a launch title. Uh, Metroid came a little later, but Metroid most people people in the West don't know actually had a file save system just like Zelda. So when you start Zelda for the first time you know how you had the three slots and you could you know eliminate or kill a save I forgot the exact wording they use or you can copy Um, the original Metroid on the disc system actually had that in place and uh, also because it was on the disc system and we've talked about this before actually the soundtrack also was a little more enhanced Um, you heard sort of two extra sound channels I think it was something like that and it really added something to the music which if you know Metroid was so so memorable and so important but in the states it became something different right? That's
3: right You, you actually came to my desk a few months ago and you're like you know Brian you love Metroid and you're like listen to this this is the Famicom version listen to these differences does anything sound different to you and it it threw me off how it's just it's not mm-hmm. uh, completely different but it's just weirdly strangely off well mm-hmm. to you uh, well, yeah. because, to me, to me. I mean, because yeah, then yeah. it's normal to, well that's yeah.
2: the that's the thing right like we all remember seeing the Star Wars special editions and you walk into the movie theater and they're like the things where you're like whoa hold yeah, on it's yeah. like what no that you know like it confuses yeah. Yeah. you so <clears throat> when you're so used to something that you've played through a 10, 20 times and yeah. the music is like in your head any little changes really stick out and that's what's so weird about these extra sound channels right? Yep, exactly. The music the composition is the same it's just that the sound I, I, is
3: I think with the original uh, Metroid uh, it was the the music set the tone before anything else too. Like that title screen music. Now back then you had a lot of just like it would be like, and then be yeah. like press one player or two player, Ooh. and then it, it would run a demo mode and the game would start right. Yeah. Or like the contra thing would slide in. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't have a lot of like like fade in from black. The dung dung and like the the chimes would start coming in for the Metroid song, and the logo would appear, and you're like, w- it, was <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Was it was scary. Yeah,
1: it was freaky. It was scary, and was
3: it was very dark sure. and foreboding. Yeah, yeah. And then you would just start the game, and you're like, where am I? Who is this? What's happening? And really. No one ever told you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, the instruction manual had a ton of backstory to that world, but the game itself, if you just let the attract mode happen, it was just a one page of text that basically gave you the most basic mission instructions. Yeah. And you found out through the manual you were Samus Aran, who you thought was a male. Uh, it was presented clearly both in the Japanese and in the American manual that this was a dude. This was not a female. So that was the surprise uh, at the end of the game for a lot of folks when you beat the game in the amount of time necessary to get the helmet taken off or, yeah. or the, you know, whatever, the, the bikini, which probably or was or a the little code. crude, but whatever, yeah. or the code, which was the other thing. Yeah, Justin Bailey, yeah. which no one this, will forget that.
3: This but. was in an era where you didn't have to uh, even imply
2: that a, a protagonist – was male it was a male yeah. yeah it was just it was just yeah. you knew uh, yeah i mean it's either miss Pacman has a bow in her yeah. hair and a little M- marilyn monroe mole yeah. or yeah. it's a male character
1: yeah, like, if, the, the if, sort of tropey presentation of women yeah. essentially yeah. yeah if
3: you were a female in a video game back then you were captured by something and put in a <laughs> cage or put in the end the end boss uh you were never a female that starred in, in a game. Unless and you were Gianna sisters. There were rare examples. Yeah, of it, but sure, but there no were someone who knew what the Gianna but, sisters
0: but, were.
2: But this, <laughs> this game, first of all, you know, it's called Metroid, right? It does not have the name of the main hero, which, of course, a lot of people are still confused about to this day. That's how you get, why can't Metroid crawl, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Metroid can totally crawl, by the way. Uh, but... the I mean, to first of all have the name of the game be different than the character, back then was also unique with a lot of character-driven games, right? Yeah. It was all about creating a character that everybody remembered, right? Yep. Um, you know, think of, you know, Donkey Kong and Pac-Man oh, and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. It's always the, the name of the characters. Yeah. But, but this one was different. And then few people knew the character's name was Samus, and then... Fewer people even finished the game and realized, holy crap, it's the sixth sense of video games, where <laughs> at the end they just pull the rug out of you. And like that had a big impact, right? right. Unless somebody spoiled it for you, finding out that your the character you played as was a female at the very end was just really significant. It, it was, was awesome, playground fodder right? too. It
1: was like it's a girl. You're like, no, yeah, no yeah way. that's not true. Yeah. No way. So uh, just to quickly wrap up, a few more technical points. In the U.S., this game adopted a password system, which was sort of the best way they could get it to work on a cartridge. However, it was a royal pain in the behind oh if you, you have no idea yeah, because the, the input was so precise some of the characters look similar and if you wrote it down wrong like this wasn't the age of like digital cameras where you quickly snap no, this picture no like, no it, it was took weeks a, to develop film it was, not really
3: it was what like uh, how many characters were in the, in those passwords <laughs> I was gonna look
1: it up and then decided not
3: to but it was a lot it was I, more it, than it necessary. felt like dozens because I remember it would be like alright I got to this I got mm-hmm. to this part alright here we go I have to save because I have to go to my grandmother's house uh, 8 dash. Lowercase b <laughs> o. Gosh, oh, that was a zero. Damn it! Yeah, uh, squiggly line, yeah. Uh, lo- under dash, yeah. and by that you'd go like you know the next day to type in the code, and that music would be playing, and you'd spend a half an hour putting the code in, and it would
2: be like error. Yeah. And the worst, damn it, the worst defenders were the ones where after you entered the code and you hit submit, it would delete the field, so you
3: oh have to enter it in. into oh. the whole thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, oh
1: yeah, no, it was the worst. But um, and I just, don't,
3: I, I don't know how. uh it happens that you you get these games when you're this young because this is before the IGNs and this is before uh, even video game magazines. Hint for,
1: lines, man. For a
3: lot of us, one eight hundred, one nine hundred numbers. Yeah, but I mean, I remember. Um, I mean, I don't know how I got Metroid. I think I. Oh I don't know if my dad was in a store and was like, Ah, that looks cool.
1: Oh, yeah, oh, okay. with this, the, this weird doing. robot well, the, guy. But the box the... did look cool. It, it was one of the cool. very few silver cartridge box Nintendo games. I think there were only three. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure. But it was also in the style of when the NES first launched, the boxes actually had representations of the graphics on the box. So you mm-hmm. saw sort of an 8-bit pixelated style art yeah. on a black background in most cases. Again, there were silver boxes which applied to Kid Icarus, Metroid, and I think Rad Racer, if research is right. However, um, and this was almost like direct marketing you because the Atari vision of what games were and what the Atari could do were completely different It was a things. lie. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it was kind. Of, it you can oh, say it was it's a, a B. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you didn't quite realize that. Yeah, there was this beautiful art <laughs> on the front of an Atari box, but then you took it home. It looked nothing like that. Well, it art. was like,
3: hey kids, you want to play this alt rock album cover? Yeah. Now nah, you mm-hmm. get a uh, four squares and a, and a <laughs> yeah, a squiggly line. Um, mm-hmm.
1: But uh, one of the things about Metroid that obviously make it special is sort of the genre it developed. But it was an, it was a platforming game, but it was also very focused on exploration. Mm-hmm. Where it was kind of like, a, and I don't know if this is 100% accurate to point to paint it this way, but it was sort of very much Mario and Zelda in in the same game, yeah. right? Because it's a platform adventure, but it's also exploration-based like Zelda, yeah. where you're looking for things. And yeah. power-ups are the thing that make you stronger. And my last note, before I turn it over to you guys, music was probably just as influential as any power-up or, or part of the graphics or exploration style in that game. And I say that because it felt like every corner of that world of Planet Zebus had its own theme. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really rad. You play Mario, and like the overworld theme is always the same, and then the underworld theme is always the same. Yeah. But here, you go to Krayt's Hideout, awesome music. Mm-hmm. You go to, is it Norfair? I always say mm-hmm. it wrong. Norfair. Norfair, not the best music, but it was okay. You go to Turian, same thing towards the end yeah. of the game. Um, and this was all Hip Tanaka's work, who yeah. we've talked about before, Hirokazu Tanaka. Uh, love what he was doing during that 80s era Nintendo, because I feel like, he was really trying to establish or just kind of help video games presentation through chip tunes and through music.
2: Yeah, and it's, I mean, the, the concept of kind of tying music to a person or a place is that's called leitmotif, right? That's something Wagner apparently came up with a long time ago. And, like, you hear it in Star Wars, too. Whenever you see Luke, you, you hear a certain melody. When you see Darth, you hear a certain melody. So it's really effective, right? Mm-hmm. Because it becomes so memorable. In Metroid, it's tied to the areas, actually. So the moment you step through a door, and it, it becomes more pronounced, I feel like, with Super Metroid, where there were so many multiple entrances to different areas. So you yeah. open a door, you're like, "Oh crap, it's going to be too hot for me," because I can already hear from the music that mm-hmm. it's this place. Or mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I thought that was really cool, and we still get that in the in the franchise to this day.
3: Well, I, I what I what I really appreciated about Metroid was sort of how, and I think this might have been partially part of its design and partially uh, a product of uh, just the era it was built. Was the sort of uh, desolation that yep. that you felt playing. and it was because you don't like when you're playing Mario right like you get to the flagpole at the end it's the level's done there's this safety to it Mm -hmm. Uh, there's never really a moment like that in Metroid you're always just like I'm really deep right now. <laughs> I yeah. don't know yeah. where I am. I am so far from when I started. Mm-hmm. I nobody there's no like a guy there's never a guy in the cave who's like, hey, you can take this, it'll help you out. You just find something on a rock. Yeah, that's well, just I like, can tell you oh, maybe man, that wh-
1: helps. why that is, right? Because at the time at least, people learned that in space. No one can hear you scream. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that was sort of an influence for Metroid, which yeah. was Alien. Yeah. Alien was totally yeah. an influence on this thing, oh. whether people want to admit that or not.
2: Well, yeah. no, obviously. I mean, if you, if you, um, look at the creative process and you look at what some of the folks involved, like Yokoi or Kano or um, you know, the the designer, um, was it Kyotake, what they've said about Alien, they they said it was a huge inspiration to them. You know, here's a movie um, with a strong female leader. And it's not to say that they watched Alien and then they created Metroid. It was oh. more kind of like throughout the process they were saying this movie's awesome how about we change the main main character to a female? Right? Like yeah. it was already they were already underway with the uh, with the story and with the game that they made that decision. Yeah. Um and then I mean there's similarities, right? Like Ridley the winged dragon, Ripley, the main character that Sigourney had. Mm-hmm. Or Ridley plays. Scott. The whole the concept of Alien, you know. Yeah, um, yeah or R- Ridley Scott <laughs> that's right in there. Yeah, and uh, for nudge. folks at
1: home, Alien was a film released in 1979. So clearly, there was enough time between that and when Metroid came there's out. There's also
3: the the Mother Brain and the Queen Alien, which both plays off the same sort of maternal naming system. Yep. Like there's mm-hmm.
1: Well, and that ties more into actually the next That's game, aliens. really, which yeah. is uh, yeah, yeah. Metroid yeah. 2 Return of Samus, yeah. because the direct plot of that game was, you know, so this is after the original Metroid, you escaped Planet Zebes, you're going back to SR-388, which, don't confuse it with LV-426, yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to exterminate the Metroids, which was also very much a plot of aliens. aliens. yeah Yeah. So um, you definitely saw that influence again, and to tie into what you just brought up, remember there was a Queen Metroid in Metroid 2. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, there's a definite uh, similarity with those franchises. I mean, Mm -hmm. just like you can see the inspiration in in the legend, of Zelda, some of these other titles from like classic fantasy. You know, Alien was a tremendously popular movie in Japan to this date. Um, you know, Japan loves the Alien franchise. Oh, wow. um, you know, it was a even huge, the last few. It was a huge influence. Like, I mean, just think about. Mm, hopefully, not the French one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it was Alien was a big deal, right? This was a sci-fi horror movie that really surprised everybody. So it's great to see it see Metro kind of harking back to that but back to like how Metro made you feel it it really felt like you were isolated you were alone you know you let you come to this planet and you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on here and the music was just stressing that at every every mm-hmm. step of the way mm-hmm. you know it was so eerie it wasn't like the the kind of music you get from a Zelda or a Mario where you walk away and then you remember the music and everybody recognizes yeah. it it's like sometimes weird garbled noises mm-hmm. weird melodies too yeah. you know yeah it
3: was a lot of like it would just sound like uh like a Oh, acid pits bubbling and things <laughs> popping and uh, <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're <laughs> talking about yeah
1: yeah that
3: was it. <laughs> it was really weird to listen to and it, it like you it was very dystopian you got very lost in that game just walking around being like this is that I don't know if I can get through this and I remember it was weird I didn't see a completed map. Of that game until when I was, a, I was an adult. So I spent my entire life having this vision of what the game looked like. And in my head, it was just a million miles long. Because so much of it looked similar. Areas sort of repeated but had different mm-hmm. uh, entrances and exits. Um, your, your sort of safe goals in that game is every time you find an elevator. Because it's just like, oh, this is going to take me somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I'm making some sort of progress. It yeah. was sort of like finding the flagpole in Mario and saying, "There's this is the end of an area. Maybe I've done everything down here. Maybe mm-hmm. I haven't. I hope I don't have to come back.
1: So, yeah. And what probably made you feel a lot better was something that uh, they implemented in Metroid 2 Return of Samus, which came out in 1991. And it was a safe system. It was yeah. like finally having that. Because the first game, yep. that password thing, uh uh <laughs> like, it, yep. was, it, was, it was cumbersome. It wasn't easy to use. And so, here you have its its debut on the Game Boy, and uh, they have a huge Samus sprite, right? Mm-hmm. They have other improvements. Like, I didn't realize this, but at the start of that game, you start with 99 energy, you start with 30 missiles, and you have 39 Metroids to kill. Yeah. Like, and you can still morph ball, like, you just mm-hmm. can't use the bomb. Like, there's certain limitations, but you're definitely more powered up than you were at the start of the last game. Um, and you and I were talking about it, right? Like, that's the one, I still feel like, Return of Samus, and, and this applies to the whole, whole series, maybe, but... Um, Return of Samus is kind of the weirdest one to go back to because the music isn't memorable and sort of it felt a lot more sprawling than the original Metroid itself. Yeah. But wasn't
2: it Wasn't it more linear? In some it ways, was a yes. more
1: linear game. I felt like,
2: you know, if Metroid ca- uh, kicked off with its contemporary Castlevania, right, there was a lot of inspiration back and forth at mm-hmm. the time and that's oh, yeah. why we call those types of games Metroidvania, right? Two Blah. games, basically. Yeah, some <laughs> of us do. Um, but, but like, I, I feel like Metroid... Th- kind of undid some of that right mm-hmm. like it, it made it a little bit more streamlined maybe mm-hmm. because of the platform it did that
3: yeah yeah, yeah I think uh, in in they streamlined the level design and layout mm-hmm. but uh, the palette and color scheme and actual architecture of the way the game was built um, made it feel almost more obscure than the original because Mm -hmm. the original i could get lost in that game and still sort of find where i was eventually but in metroid 2 i mean i played that game on a on a game boy that was Mm -hmm. you know the screen was the what like the size of four postage Mm -hmm. stamps blurry puke green and you didn't know where you were ever uh, yeah. And I think on, on the NES, you kind of could be like, oh, I know what, what area that is. I know what enemy that is. I think I have an idea where I am. Um, it was very different on Game Boy because it was sort of just like you've got to hunt down 37 or whatever the number was, mm-hmm. Metroids. Yeah. You don't know where they are. So you just sort of aimlessly walked around killing things mm-hmm. and uh depleting the number. It was it was it was yeah. like being a terminator almost. Sure. Well that's sure. yeah,
2: again, goes back to aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. get the marines in there and take out the whole hive. And yeah. this this was kind of like it was a very straightforward setup versus you know how Metroid One was just kind of like create your own adventure style Absolutely. setup, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I mean sure. the other big thing. About the second one is you can already kind of see that the story wasn't as simple as most other kind of shooters and, and beat-em-ups at the time. Like, she spares the hatchling at the end. Yeah. Right? right and, like, right. this entire game is focused on eradicating these these people, these these uh, creatures, jellyfish, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> what are they? Hmm. Uh, alien spawn. Yeah, I don't know what A life form. form. Life form. Go, go okay. with the sci-fi. Terms. They're jellies. Yeah, jellies. Um, <laughs> dry dry land jellies. So, uh, but at the end, she spares one. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, even though like obviously they've been a living hell to deal with. Yeah. Um, up until that point that she spares it is kind of cool. Yeah. And that shows to me that they did have more of an idea saying like, hey, we don't have to be like everything else. We can make a point. You know, just like they made a point that the character's female in the first one, the second one kind of shifts I, things. I around. thought
3: it was incredibly fascinating, the, the pacing of, of the franchise, especially looking at the first one, calling it Metroid and then not really giving you Metroids to fight until
1: like the last uh-huh, right. seven rooms or so. Anything, you had to be afraid of them, right? Yeah, you, the way they're sort of positioned or talked about in the manual, at least, because there was no storytelling in the game And you
3: itself. didn't see them for hours and then you got to the end and all of a sudden they suction cupped onto your brain <laughs> and they and took the all your out life you. out yeah. and it was terrifying yeah. and yeah. You, you jumped and you mashed your controller and you swung it in the air and you tried to get rid of them and they'd finally let go and you'd blast off a bunch of me- uh, missiles to, to kill them yeah
1: and they weren't easy to kill you had to freeze and then fire missiles oh, at them it was a pain and in you the would, ass you would, and they move really fast because this is the end of the game I'm yeah. glad you brought this up yeah. Um, and yeah it was it was really freaky like oh. going through that area and that's where the music is by the way all it hits sort of that spot and, where it's weird yeah Yeah. and I do want
3: to correct myself a little bit because outside of the uh, the elevators as your sort of safety there were the Chozo statues which was like
1: well we didn't call them that then yeah we We didn't know we didn't call them that I didn't know what they were back then it was just just... yeah
3: which was another sort of like that there's that alien thing of like the giant Mm. man shaped statue yeah yeah um (laughs) Uh, and just seeing those in the game and being like what is that I remember walking upon one for the first time I was like this is some sort of weird messed up shrine and then firing at it to try to kill it and firing at it revealed that it had some sort of like prize some sort yeah. of power up yeah. and then you would jump into it and get something and upgrade your character and no one ever yeah. explained to you why or uh, there were just these ruins all over the game it and was just,
2: yeah it was totally like the space jockey in the original alien. Right, now we know him. of course yeah. they're just uh, Roman people made from marble right yeah. from Prometheus we know that giant Roman what,
3: what I really Appreciated about those mechanics too is that you would Poor get. Space, yeah, they totally ruined that lore. Uh, shooting at those things and getting the power up. Usually, in and around those uh, statues was a tunnel. Like, yep. al- underneath them a lot of times behind them a lot of times and it brought back that sort of feeling I had when I played Super Mario Brothers World 1-2 for the first time and I jumped up on the blocks high enough to run at the top of the level Metroid let you do that through walls and under tunnels and mm-hmm. it broke the the traditional gameplay of like platforming left to right to the goal and made you start looking at things bombing uh, areas that looked real, or the bomb, yeah, jump. j- bomb jumping mm-hmm. um, shooting at the ground and making blocks disappear that became Transparent, falling through them, going to completely new areas—like the exploration in that game was brilliant and yeah. it was confusing and disorienting. But I, I really appreciated that aspect of it because it made me, as a kid, not only just play through the levels from point A to point B or each area, but it made me shoot at everything and bomb everything, yeah. and explore yeah. and look around. And
2: you see, I, I played that game later. You know, to me, that realization came with Super Metroid. Yeah, it? there are so many cool little secrets and moments in that game that where I felt like that was a standout for for me. Me at mm-hmm. the time, too.
1: All right. So, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. Uh, we will be talking about Super Metroid and Ooh. why it is the, one of the greatest games ever made. More when we return. back Jose Otero here with Per Schneider and Brian Altano and we're talking about Metroid this week on NVC all about it and so our next topic is actually about Super Metroid right why is Super Metroid one of the most important games ever made we talked already about how Metroid 1 and even Metroid 2 sort of helped develop the idea of sort of an exploration based platforming game an action adventure if you will mm-hmm. um, but Super Metroid is the one that got it right uh, and has been praised up and down ever since. And I feel like we got maybe a taste of sort of that quiet storytelling at the end of Metroid 2, which yeah. you brought up, right? Yeah. The end of the Return of Sam is sparing the hatchling. Yeah. Like there was a message there. And then when Super Metroid got a hold of those ideas, they just made that message 10 times better.
2: Yeah, from the very beginning, I mean, you see the, you know, you see Ridley breaking into the lab and stealing the the last Metro- Metroid, right? And the, the yeah. jarred Metroid and flying away with it. By the way, what a freaky moment, mm-hmm. right? Like you're exploring this day. Space station at the very beginning, and then like a giant enemy pops up. That's like your first encounter with an enemy. You're finding all these dead bodies on the floor, which was creepy enough. It, it's, it's, it's,
3: it's the first time you see uh like sort of human-esque or mm-hmm. humanistic characters outside of yourself in the franchise. Yeah. And they're just they're dead. And everywhere.
2: real dead bodies, right? Yeah. And they're like and they're scientists and not yeah. soldiers or anything. And then this giant boss comes in, you're like how, what? Yeah, like, I haven't even upgraded my character. I don't mm-hmm. even know how to play this damn game. And the music is dumb and like, like, like it yeah. drives you crazy. And of course, you're taking damage the whole time. Now, the yeah. secret is you can't die, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's part of the story that you're actually interacting with a cutscene, which yeah. I thought yeah. was just so cool.
1: And then what I love is that they wisely, from there, so this game picked up right after Metroid Two. You have this encounter with Ridley who steals the hatchling. You go down to the planet Zebes once again. And uh, what blew my mind is then they take you on a quick, uh, unabridged tour of what you did in Metroid 1. I know. You start sort of, you pass by the starting area, you end up in uh, where you fought Mother Brain, you see the smoking hole in the ground Mm -hmm. where you left Mother Brain, what's left of the jar, and you sort of backtrack through. The scanning thing. There was a scanning thing. There were little changes here and there because as you slowly found out, the world just got 10 times bigger. Or at least it felt that way in Super Metroid.
2: You just forgot to open some doors. And, I mean, obviously time passed. But that was was what made that game so magical for me. Like, the first moment, like, Ridley comes in, and it starts with an eye, right? The eye just fades in, and it's so creepy. But then when you go down to the planet, first of all... I'm a sucker for rain in video games. Yeah. I'm playing Horizon 2 right now, Forza on the Xbox, and the rain effects and everything just make me really happy. It's because mm-hmm. it doesn't rain, rain in San Francisco. No, I, I grew up in Germany where it always rains, and now, now we live in California. Isn't
3: so. that weird how you, yeah. you grow to miss thunderstorms? I love, I,
2: love, I, yeah. I love thunderstorms. Me too. Anyway, so it's got this awesome atmosphere, which was, to me, exactly like the beginning of Link to the Past. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't yet know what to do. You're not, like, running around killing things. You're just kind of exploring something and trying to get a feel for the world, and it's so so smart right like Mm -hmm. it teaches you the game mechanics for those who played the original game you get a tour of the last game but just the sound of the rain and like your spaceship landing there and you go on like you're like all right i can go to the left i can go back and go back i can go back into my spaceship just this kind of freedom to me was mind-boggling
1: well and sort of from um, from the design excuse me standpoint where you mentioned that the first game felt very desolate yeah the sound design became very ambient in super metroid it became more about the little you know effects and the little things Uh, that's
3: that was the power of the Super Nintendo you know like it was it it had some incredibly capable uh, sound chips Mm -hmm. so this was
2: Sakamoto right
3: Sakamoto
1: Sakamoto gets gets a lot of the credit for this game he is one of the folks that worked on it and he uh, if you don't know Sakamoto's work uh, Yoshio Sakamoto also works on the WarioWare series he actually has a very diverse palette Mm -hmm. of games he's the Tomodachi Life dude Mm -hmm. he is the WarioWare dude and he is also Coincidentally enough, the Metroid dude. Oh, and the Rhythm Heaven guy. Also. Yeah, 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 yeah. He also handles that series too. Very different games across the board. Yeah, so, I, it,
3: it's what I it, this. It, it's what I really loved about Super Metroid was uh, the the sound design was so detailed and and the environments were so uh, they were just
2: they felt gross. <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, and they made farting noises gross. too. Yeah, and it's <laughs> just like
3: things. Thing, yeah, things just saw the oozed, and, like and, yeah, well, no, things like oozed and dripped. And you would walk into a room and you'd be like, oh, like but you'd fight an enemy or a boss. And yeah. you'd be like, this is just gross looking. Whereas everything in the original NES Metroid, you know, it was all very blocky. It was all very clean. Uh, you could tell that things were kind of nasty. Like little yeah. slime balls would scroll around with eyeballs on them and stuff like that. But Super Metroid was just like moss grew on things. You know, uh, there was dew. There was dr- things would drip and pop. And oh, it yeah. just felt gross.
2: And then it had these cool mechanisms too, right? Like you're running forward and the door closes. You're like, what? And you try it like 50 times. I'm like, I'm going to beat this door. Of course, Mm -hmm. you have to come back later when you can run fast. But like, just that kind of experimentation, which in a modern game would be so frustrating if we're stuck in an area. This game basically said, hey, you can try and get past it. But there are all these other things you can do at the same time. And I really appreciated that. But this game also, like two of my favorite things in the series. One was the glass pipe. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was awesome, right? Like, you run through this glass pipe so many times on your way to the different areas, and then... At one point you're like what if I put a power bomb here and like it blows it up yeah what it blew up the glass pipe yeah and you go in the water that is freaking amazing mm-hmm. I oh, thought yeah. that was so cool no it is very cool I think it, it did
3: a, it, a fantastic job of making samus even more of a badass too yeah because for, first of all it was the shoulder buttons helped a lot like being able to shoot diagonally and stuff yep. all of a sudden I mean you 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 shot very straightforward and up and down in the older metroids but all of a sudden you were like man I this she felt like a bulkier character she looked straight stronger uh Mm -hmm. her weapon upgrade system like going into the into the menu and looking at that kind of stuff like it was just really cool the way they teched it all out when
1: they introduced things like the grapple beam right they brought in they expanded sort of her palette of what she could do with this game which was dope they even had moves that the game somehow taught you itself just by demonstration you'd run into the space animals and you'd see them zigzag off the walls and you're like what are you that trying to hard. say to me? And yeah. it was really hard to pull yeah. off. But once you learned how to do it and you learned the timing, or I don't know how I eventually found out. I was kind of bummed because this game came out in 1994, and we were dirt poor. So I didn't yeah. get to buy it until and play it until I was much older. I think right before Corruption came out on Wii, and uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't play it until I was older because mm. I appreciated it 10 times more, I feel. Mm. Like, I was able to kind of absorb a lot more of what the game wanted from me than if I would have played it when I was, like, 14 or whatever.
2: I played it right when it came out, obviously. was was yeah, 14. Too. But, uh, like, that moment where you see those guys do the wall jumps and you're mm-hmm. like, what are you trying... Oh, you're trying to tell me I can wall jump too. I can't. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you try it over and over. You're like, wait, no, maybe I can. And then, like, you keep on working on it until you think you got it, right? But, mm-hmm. like... To be able to communicate that through just, you know, visuals and no description today would just be like, pop up, you know, press E or twice, right? Like, yeah. it would bring up some sort of... <laughs> oh, are
3: you kidding? Me? Nowadays, you'd have a million lives. You'd yeah. be able to buy the ending. Like, yeah, it's, it's everything's so different now. And
2: then the other thing that I really loved, and this, I feel like, inspired the Metroid Prime series was the first visor, right? The x-ray scope in that yep. game. Like, you... You'd, would discover these secrets, and they're awesome and we're familiar with those secrets from other games, right, where something looks like a wall and you walk through, it's like the, the hidden waterfall entrance. Yeah. In this game, you get this visor and you can actually scan the walls and you can find those secrets, yeah. and I thought that was so cool when I first used it. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm gonna go through every room
1: ever and scan, scan everything. And that's kind of what uh, the whole power-up upgrade system kind of did to you, right? The minute you'd get something, you'd be like, no, yeah, I know where yeah, I can use this, yeah, right? And that's yeah. where the aha like moments, yep. the epiphanies and, would Happen. Um, one thing you haven't mentioned though, the bosses, man. Yep. Bosses, the boss sprites, the boss characters, huge. all the things. you Huge, huge, like multiple parts. They were intimidating. One of them had two screens. Was it Crate? Yeah, Crate like, was gigantic. You have to fight Crate again, and he you was have fat. to actually yeah. get all the way up to a second screen, like top floor, to fight him. And it was so so well done.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's it's I mean it's such a remarkable game. It's definitely in my top 5 games of all time. Oh, it's yes. just such a great game, you know. The the one thing that it kind of ruined for me is that I, I don't think they there were ever well maybe in Metroid prime because of the morph ball stuff they did but there weren't many things in future games where you were like oh I wonder what that's for like yeah. I feel like the earlier games kind of primed you for you know oh a grapple hook here this I need this beam to open this door right mm-hmm. like it 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 kind of gave you that language and the Zelda franchise we have the same issue where like you kind of know you're gonna get a grapple beam a, a grapple hook or um yeah. you know, boom hook shot yep. be, when you see a target like that and I wish like we just reset it and give us completely new uh, new items at yeah one point. the
1: whole the process of discovery is special yep um all right, and then, I mean, we should definitely talk a little bit about that ending. One of the greatest endings of all time, right? Because the tables were turned. You end yep. up in a boss fight with, uh, I mean, if you haven't beat this game, I apologize. You've had time. But you should check it out. Um, basically, you fight Mother Brain again. Mm-hmm. She turns into gigantic Mother Brain in front of you. She and walks. The, yeah, and then the last Metroid, which almost killed you a little while earlier, right? In the middle of a hallway. It attaches to you. It attacks you. It's ginormous now. It looks like a super Metroid. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Oh. Um, then... Uh, it comes to save you. It gives you it, the energy. Yeah, it dies. But in dying, gives you the energy to kill Mother Brain with like a hypernova super rainbow beam or whatever. Yep.
2: And again, the simplest storytelling mechanics to make you feel like I'm going to kick your butt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the moment uh, Metroid comes in, you're like, holy crap, it saved me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you totally understand what happened in the games before and, like, this payoff of rescuing this dangerous creature. Then you're pissed off because Metroid is dead and you're like, I'm going to take down Mother Brain. The simplest storytelling mechanics create this emotional response and really, like, made the game so enjoyable. Yeah,
1: Yeah. no, I agree. All right, so then for this next portion of our conversation, I do want to frame this for people, Mm -hmm. but... I think we, we we should focus on how the next step for Nintendo was then the struggle to evolve Metroid, I feel. And this when I say struggle, I mean that there are victories and there are definite um, middling or, or maybe even mm-hmm. losses. So I'm going to go through the games that I'm, I'm trying to tie this to. And we're going chronological, if you haven't noticed on this podcast. So it wasn't until 2002 that we would see Metroid again. From 1994 to 2002, there was no Metroid. They you, skipped Nintendo 64. Do you only... remember Metroid 64? What was there of that exactly so, I, out there? Do you
2: remember? I can tell you, there wasn't anything shown ever.
1: Yeah, so mm-hmm.
3: there
2: was there was rumors it was being yeah. worked on. I,
3: I my, maybe my brain is filling in
2: blanks, but no, there wasn't anything shown. We're, there no. were never any weird hazy no. screenshots
3: or anything like that. No,
2: there were there there was some stuff later. Um, no, Met, with Metroid sixty four, this was like the question you as a, as a games journalist would always ask Miyamoto. And then uh, Gumpo Yo- Yokoi, of course, yeah. had died in a car accident, right? Mm-hmm. I think 97, 97 or something that like that, right? right? Yeah. And so it almost became... At first, it was kind of like this toxic question because, you know, Yokoi, who was so attached to the franchise, too, you didn't want to bring up... Yeah, yeah you didn't want to bring up the memories. But then over time, you'd be like, okay, N64, how are we going to see a Metro game? And, like... It was always the air-sucking answer, like, uh, yeah, not sure who would tackle that. And then at one point in an interview, Miyamoto is like, yeah, yeah, we're really thinking about it. And, you know, yeah, we got you know, we got some ideas. And then everybody was like, super excited, saying Metroid 64 is happening. Yeah. And then the next time you saw him, it was like, ah, when I said we were excited, I meant that maybe we'll one day make another Metroid game, right? Like, it was this constant back and forth of, oh, yeah, we should really do that. Or, oh, yeah, we're doing it. Maybe some mistranslation's. There and like backpedaling, saying no, sorry, there's nothing in the yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And when did we end up seeing Samus and Smash
2: for the first time? That was on the N sixty.
1: Was it on the N 64 So yeah, uh, that was in the first Smash Brothers. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That basically the only time you ever saw anything Metroid was in the opening or in basically in Smash Brothers for Nintendo sixty four. Yeah, Samus was part of the opening, and that was it never saw Samus again because it never materialized. Metroid 64 never came together, yep. despite Super Metroid being this amazing thing. Um, but then you move forward in time to 2002, and they decide to release not one but two Metroids uh-huh. on the same day. November 17th, 2002, Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime. And it felt like it was sort of like future and past came together, right? Because Metroid Prime was visually the future in terms of here is a first-person perspective video game. They were careful not to call it a shooter. They kept calling it, remember, first-person adventure was the word yep. you, words you saw in sh- all the
2: articles. Again, shooter, not a good good, kind of genre for Japan, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. wanted to avoid that and,
1: stigma. And then on, on Fusion, on the Game Boy Advance, you got more of the traditional 2D style. But what I don't think people really realize is that even though the tech on, on Prime was the future of how the game would be presented... Yeah fusion was the future of what they were trying to do in terms of presentation
3: hundred percent yeah uh, prime felt like the original like it, the sequel to the original more than any game in the French franchise did it's 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 you you're by yourself it's desolate there's no NPCs really there's no uh, uh, You're not getting communications over your radar or anything like that, whereas Fusion was sort of like, hey, Samus, how's it going? Here, uh, nonstop talking to you. (laughs) You're in the elevator right now. I got some stuff to talk to you about. Um, And that permeated Metro Prime 3, uh, permeated Other M. uh, That sort of – and it took a lot of people out of it. I remember a lot of people's criticism at the time was that uh, it – Took away that desolation that we were talking about earlier of having just this space pirate out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, she spoke, and no one liked what she had to say. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah when, when you say happened. she spoke,
2: you didn't hear her;
3: you no, just read you, you the saw text, text, right? Her thoughts, and yeah. it was it
1: was a lot of sort of reminiscing and dwelling on on the other characters and the mission she's on. And it it Metroid Fusion, it, I, and I will say this at this table without reservation is still an, a great game. Yeah, but it is the chatty Kathy. Yeah. Of the Metroid series, right? It's just it's got it's just a little kid Icarus a lot. in your Metroid there. Yeah, yeah, yeah way too much talking. Yeah. It also and that w-
3: turned a lot of people off. The way it would click over to the map screen and pan away from where you were to where you needed to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they were directing you, right? Yeah. yeah. It,
3: to me, it took away a lot of the exploration so, that I was so used to from the franchise. But you
1: know what, Super Metroid was doing that a little bit too, not not to a huge degree, right? I mean, you had map rooms that would kind of download and show you things, but. Um, yes, this game was saying, "Okay, you're in point A. Here's point B, but show you nothing in between, yeah. and you would have to piece together the rooms and find your way there." Mm-hmm. So the exploration aspect was still there, but they were very much trying to help people get over the hurdle of the intimidation factor. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't know where to go. Well, it's, there you go. That's where you want
2: to be. To me, when when I look at both of those games, <laughs> games, Metroid Fusion looks so Japanese. And Metroid Prime, you know, while while really looking like true to the Nintendo franchise is an American yeah. game, right? Yeah. Like there's a real difference in the visuals, the presentation and, and the gameplay style as well. Metroid Fusion, like just think about how they changed the suit, right? Like she, it's much more like kind of skinny and she looks like Ar- Aquaman or something. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah. super colorful. Like all the levels are way more colorful whereas Metroid Prime went for that that more realistic kind of desolate look. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. Having those two games released at the same time was so great because Mm -hmm. you got these two facets of what Metroid kind of used to be like. You know, like you get that game going into two different directions. And then Metroid Fusion had this freaking awesome element of the sax the your doppelgangers stalking mm, yeah, you? That's yeah right. that was so well done yeah,
1: yeah it was absolutely that, that yeah. was the, the most
2: menacing en- enemy in the franchise Fusion, like, Fusion an enemy so that comes after you the whole time yeah. it's
3: such a beautiful game and uh it, even though it's 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 much brighter and more mm-hmm. well lit than some of the other games I think that the the setting of that spaceship is really cool I think that uh, aside from the sort of chatty Cathy stuff and the yeah. narrator bothering you uh the art directions great the, yeah. oh
1: yeah no across both games I do want to point out though that I've I think one thing we're missing though with the Fusion with mentioning the Fusion was colorful is it was on the Game Boy Advance which was not backlit at the yeah. time mm-hmm. right so you had games like Circle of the Moon that were launch games that were really, really good exploration based but they were too dark yeah. yeah. and you yeah. have to like sit under three lights to or, see what you were light. doing or something or find this, some huge bulb like yeah, the one point. we have in here good point. so it, it was probably them a conscious effort to just kind of make it something you can still see which happened with the Castlevania games as well they got yeah. brighter and brighter yeah Harmony of Dissonance is totally neon which yeah. is crazy yeah. and then by Aria of Sorrow they got it right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do want to point out. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but you may have seen Fusion before. Fusion, in fact, was Fusion. Metroid Four was shown to the press as a Game <laughs> Boy Color game. Yeah. And I sent you a video of it. Did you watch it? Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: I remember that demo. It was a running demo. Was it at E3? It was at one of that the shows, Right. Yeah. 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 I, d- I do remember seeing it. But it was this short glimpse, and we're like, all right, finally, you know, they're going back to Super Metroid, mm-hmm. and it was and, Metroid
1: yeah. Four? Yeah. So that in the title, and they still put Four in Fusion. There's a, there's a short title card that'll. Yeah say it somewhere. Um, But anyway, uh, just then sort of looking at... Prime. Prime, yeah. So a Western studio made Uh, it. Retro Studios, which inevitably would be owned by Nintendo. Mm -hmm. But why don't you share the stories here? Well, there was a lot of talk about retro
2: at the time, right? There was a lot of mistrust a uh, li- lot of mistrust of the studio unproven studio
1: had a whole bunch of projects they are working on so I paid the picture for folks retro wasn't always retro right retro used to be Iguana and Iguana right. made well, well some of the Iguana. guys some of the guys yeah, yeah. And Iguana made the guy game believe it or not yeah, yeah. They, they also made Turok so it wasn't
2: it wasn't the exact same team as not the acclaimed yeah. Acclaim Studios guys but um, there definitely were um, you know Spangenberg Jeff Spangenberg who headed up the studio came over mm-hmm. um, and they just Just a little con a lot of controversy around this kind of studio that they're spending a lot of money, they're like, you know, it was kind of like the you know, like the super fancy development studio. They had the awesomest level designers, the greatest graphic artists and they would be doing sports for Nintendo. They would be doing RPGs for Nintendo. They would be doing shooters, right? Uh, A racing game with guns like a twisted metal kind of game. So all this stuff was there and you never actually saw a game and you had to kind of trust that, okay, these guys knew what they're doing with Turok. Turok, the first two games are good. The third one is actually fun too, kind of like a, almost like a Titanfall of its day, all multiplayer, right? (sighs) You had the Extreme G games, which were, apart from the choppiness, really cool games, really, really fun racers, and a whole bunch of other stuff out of the studio that was good. So we thought, all right, could be pretty good. Um, But there was mistrust. There were, you know there were reports of excessive parties like Spangenberg involved. And you, you don't know, maybe it was all blown out of proportion, but there was then, then this kind of like, oh, they're never going to get anything done. And you did yeah. get the sense that at one point, Nintendo went down there and put the kibosh on a lot of stuff and said, you will now focus on one game. You're going to cancel all this other stuff. No more football. No more beautiful RPG. Look cool, though. Um, no, more, no more shooting cars. And they were assigned to this one game, Metroid Prime, which at the time was not called Metroid Prime. And was a third-person game in 3D. Hmm. So this was meant to be like a Mario, more Mario 64, Sunshine, you know, like third-person perspective type of game. Okay, that's how they started off. Yeah. Um, and then we didn't hear anything about it for a while until these first screenshots came out. Like, unceremoniously, we were super excited to see more. Suddenly, these screenshots come out, and it looked kind of like Our Marines, which was another Acclaim Studios Iguana game, right? And then we're like, oh, no, they're going to turn, they're gonna they're gonna turn Samus and Metroid into no. and We're really worried about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was right before. Sorry, if you guys want to weigh in, please. Uh, I feel like I'm talking. No, no, but no. Keep, no. Keep but there was the this here. one. You know, like as we're heading towards E3, where the game was supposed to be unveiled, um, we knew a lot of the guys over at, at Retro, and you know, obviously, really good team. They were super frustrated that they weren't able to talk about the game, and so through you know, 15 different corners, we learned that the game would in first uh, would be in first person, right? And we're like, well,
1: what? Double take.
2: Wait, first person.
1: So in two thousand and two, the idea of a platforming game in first person was heresy because yeah. no one had really figured out how to make it smooth and comfortable in terms of platforming. I, I Movement think, on the ground was fine, but no one had gotten it right.
3: I think in twenty fourteen, a uh, a platforming first person game is still you still get a little worried about it. Now Titanfall pulled it off great, but yeah, at the Mirror's time Edge. I, I remember Mirror's Edge, yeah. Yep. I remember uh, knowing that. It was former Iguana developers, and I remember I played a lot of Turok, mm-hmm. and I was worried as hell, because yeah. you couldn't land a jump in Turok, and yeah. there was a lot of jumping. But they made you jump, yeah. And they made you jump. And I said, I I, I grew up playing Metroid. Metroid, it, it, it's, a, it's a platforming game. Precision. With precision and exploration, like all of these things need to be there. This if you just give me long tunnels with monsters to shoot, you miss the point yeah. of Metroid. And I remember jump starting prime and jumping for the first time and landing on something and being like, Holy crap, they did it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that but when we first heard it was first person, we didn't think, okay, yeah. they're gonna nail this. We thought, wait a second. This is going to be doom. We thought this game was going to be turned into first person shooter. We didn't write that story, so we kept on pushing and we wanted to get more information. You know, as we were heading towards the uh, Nintendo press conference and we knew the game was going to be revealed there and so we wanted to get the story done but we wanted as much detail as possible we dug it up and they, uh, and we got our sources to tell us no it is absolutely like metroid but it's in the first person trust me it's going to be awesome and so what i did i sat down and i mocked up a fake screenshot of what the visor would look like because the big catch was oh it's going to be awesome you're going to have this visor it's, it's going to feel like it's going to feel like you're looking through the eyes of samus so we posted this article called through the eyes of samus put my bad Photoshop mock up into it. Wait, and what did you what did you Photoshop? Is it still out there? It's still out there. <laughs> it looks Oh my
3: God, really? It, I
2: mean it looks <laughs> horrible. It's like I because I probably read that article. No, but but it looks exactly like the visor and the and the interface in Metroid. It. Like, it was a little bit of luck too, I have to admit, I, I just kind of said, how would they do this interface and do it and like as our guy described it to us, you know, kind of put it down in this in this image. We published a story and Nintendo freaked out. Really? Yeah. Who have so you been talking so to? that was kind of an indicator that we nailed it, right? Mm-hmm. But they were freaking out, and like they were, they were like people were looking for us. Like mm. at, even at you know at E3, it was like, hey, I just bumped into so and so, and they're like looking for you. It's like well, okay, wow. you know, they, they they were not happy that we kind of broke this, um, the secret. Now back on the IGN site, on the message boards, people are freaking out in a different way. There was a a big contingent of people who said IGN, you guys are crazy. That's not true. And you made that up, right? And then they were actually went to all the other message boards too, going like IGN is saying this is a first person game, and then it kind of got split into now they've ruined the franchise, right? Like everybody just there were very few people who said, oh, cool, this sounds like a good idea. Virtually nobody. Everybody said this is going to be ruined, or IGN, you guys are a bunch of hacks. That was that was the message. And so uh, when it was shown at uh, at the conference, we kind of silently high fived each other because mm-hmm. we're like huh? we're starting to sweat because yeah. we're like, okay, what
1: if it's wrong? yeah you know? of course um, no one wants that but it yeah. worked out yeah and then uh guess what it looked good yeah and guess what it was also probably and i will say this also here one of the last times i felt a nintendo game kind of shook the industry in terms of look at how technically advanced and amazing yep. this looks like this was yep. the best thing you could see in 2002 I, I challenge you anyone who's listening to this who says something looked better in 2002 on a console it no, still looks definitely. really good they
2: just did the right kind of enemy design and the, the right kind of pacing like it was ridiculously polished I felt that way you know only a few few times like with games like Mario 64 later with Uncharted 2 where I'm like mm-hmm. why is this game so good right yeah. like the set pieces Metroid Prime you play the first level and we, we were able to play the demo at E3 behind closed doors we locked ourselves in a room you know Nintendo basically give us access lights off and just played this demo like five times in a row and was the mm-hmm. first like the the beginning right the space station with the space pirates and yep, the quick yep. boss fight and then evacuation and it was just perfect like everything about that beginning is perfect the way they teach you to shoot the barriers that's right the way you see one of the little creatures scurrying into a vent and you're like oh i can go into the vent the way you turn the gravity on you know, mm-hmm. and the things fall down. The way your visor fogs off. Well,
1: One scanning, it teaches you how all of that works in just a very short demo. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: And, it, and it was all just, you kept on going. We're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Then there's, like, a dead space pirate, and, like, he moves and shoots at you. And, like, every moment, every step of the game, like, it, it taught you something about the world. It connected you to the lore of the old games. And then it just impressed you with the visuals. Yeah. right. Like, all the um, overlays, like, the way they have these
1: weird orange holograms. Like, what great style. Oh, and it was such art direction. Yeah, like, yeah, it's something that – and I give them a lot of credit, Retro Studios, because at the time t- – we're talking about 2002. This was a year after Halo, yeah. right? And Halo redefined what the first-person shooter was on console, made it work on a controller. Prior to Halo, uh, Combat Evolved, it was not done right. It was done plenty of times. There were plenty of games that tried. And yet these guys still, rather than go with free look, said, you know what? That C stick is going to be the switch visor. Yeah. And you know what? This button is going to do that, and we're going to stick to this thing and despite using a control scheme that by all accounts in 2002 is outdated it got nothing but critical praise yeah, I mean, right had, it they deserved had lock everything on.
2: yeah yeah they were I mean there were people who were used to other um, FPS games at Mm -hmm. the time right like obviously Half-Life was a big deal Uh, still you know and and like it was compared most often to Half-Life the way it told the story with kind of like the beginning set up and everything and and, and PC gamers who tried Metroid were really angered by the fact that you couldn't look and strafe and all that right like it felt like a limitation and it is true like if you go back now it will feel odd because you just want to walk and look around while Mm. you're walking because you want to
1: look at everything it looks so so beautiful but
2: after you've You figure out the controls and the lock on the circle strafing around lock on enemies, um, like you got it, and it worked, and it was a wonderful game, and you realized how they figured out um, platforming in 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 that in the third dimension, right? Like, the way the character looks down when you're jumping. Especially yeah. when you get, so like, good. the double jump and stuff like oh, yeah. that. And yeah. you're like,
3: man, all of this works the way it used to work. Yeah. Uh, the, the way the game sort of presented uh, exploration and even lore as uh, things that you would have to do to get by, but if you wanted more of it, it was there for you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it didn't shove a story in your face the way Fusion did. <laughs> it said, like, we're going to hide, like... Chozo lore in little nooks and crannies around the world. And if you want to scan them and go into the menus and read them for hours and hours, you're going to learn more about Metroid than you ever did. But if you don't care, you can still run around, just shoot things, blast things, and beat bad guys. And it actually
2: taught you something about Samus, too. I I really appreciated the kind of dual angle storytelling in that game like you read some notes from the space pirates and they're like the hunter is coming like yeah. you are the bad guy in their eyes and you're like terrifying them and as a player you're like haha yeah,
3: yeah that's yeah, right yeah. I'm coming but for the, you but then you, know? you
1: also read a message that says hey this Metroid just killed like eight people and you're like yeah. I don't know yeah. if I should be this yeah. guy <laughs> yeah. exactly. sort of and I mean there's there's you one
3: know. thing I have to say which is just one of the it's one of my favorite moments in, in video game history is when you walk into Fendrana for the first time yeah and it just the world opens up and there's snow everywhere and, and the music the music changes and it yep. sh- it's one of the most beautiful vistas you will walk into ever in a video game and at the time it just um it floored me how yep. cool that looked and how i just wanted to go climb on everything and shoot everything and jump on it it was and like it, walking outside on a on a snow day for the first time and just looking around and being like i don't even know where to start this is all amazing sure and
2: then the other thing w- which i you know again like going back to the, the notion that you know everything because of the, the predecessors, you, you knew what the morph ball could do and you could go into like smaller areas and you could do the bomb jump and all that stuff. But then you get to a half pipe in this yeah, game and like yeah. that was different right like <laughs> yeah. you were like wait a second it has physics this thing right yeah. and you can actually roll up in the half pipe and man that was just so cool and in,
3: in typical Metroid fashion you walk through that area a few times yep. Before and you're like this is kind of weird this is, like, this is like a Tony Hawk level in here and then and you would come back and you're like oh my god
2: <laughs> and you saw those rails too right like yeah. those rails yeah. going up the wall you're like you're wow, can I go rails. up that yeah. like, I hope you know, so. there's gotta
1: be something I can do well, oh, and then that's where the whole epiphany that we were talking about earlier with like super metroid and like just knowing oh man i got this spider ball ability i -hmm. saw all these tracks i can use it on and metroid as a series and maybe we haven't i think we touched on this a little bit the minute you get something new and something cool they let you use it and they teach you how it works and they teach you like, they basically in teach room. you the basic vocabulary of where you're now going to need it in other places. Mm-hmm. Well, well oftentimes you rad. can't
2: get out of the room without using that, uh, yes. uh, you know, that new tool. Like, yep. Spider-Ball is needed to get out of this oh, yeah. arena, for example. Yeah, so... The, uh, the, uh, and, no, the, and the Morph Ball, just the, the other thing, like, it's... It's easy to forget how many things this game did really r- well. It transitioned you from first person to third person seamlessly. Like you're running and you're rolling into a ball. Like oh, it just yeah. felt so sure, good. Yeah. I
1: would argue Halo maybe helped with that. And I don't know if anyone at Retro would ever say yes. But think with about the, in with Halo going from first person to the Warthog. Yeah. It's sort of the same transition. I'm not saying yeah, that, but the Warthog was controlled crypt. like trash. But but the point is that they got it right yeah. now. They got it right now. But yeah. back then, and I was controlled fine. You you watched no, it was like
3: the Austin Powers but, car.
1: But if you drove in on the ice, tunnel, they, trying, well, trying you to... were probably <laughs> terrible. But anyway, <laughs> um, no, More importantly, though, I felt like the transition between first and third person. I, I had seen it done, but I felt like the way they did it, I, they had the extra hook of when you turn into a morphol. It's not just about getting from point A to point B it's also what's the puzzle what's the unique thing I'm going to have to figure out to get this thing to where it needs to be versus I'm just driving a warthog Mm -hmm. right which is very different by comparison yeah
2: yeah yeah. and it it was just like there were times where you just wanted to try out what would happen if you were a morph ball right like you're rolling through like grass or something Mm -hmm. and you just want to see how the grass reacts because you're not seeing your character in relation to the universe and so I kept on going back and forth between the two and like sometimes you're just rolling around as a ball just because it's cool right like playing a little little uh, marble madness on on Talon 4. It did a
3: smart thing too of it, when you start the game you have a bunch of things that they take away.
2: Yep. So, and you gain
3: them back, and it's yeah. sort of it dangles that carrot in front of you yep. and then steals it, and you spend the rest of the game going, man, I really want those missiles. And yeah. more-
1: so then uh, from that game, they also promoted the idea of connectivity by the yep. link cable idea. Yep. They both came out the same day, and if you had both, you were able to unlock the Fusion shoot Prime. They had little unlockable things. That was really cool. And the original mm-hmm. – I
3: was it the original NES Metroid? The original Fusion? NES Metroid yeah. would also open up as
1: well. Which I believe right.
3: was the first time you could play that on the handheld.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah before they did the NES Classics <laughs> line re-release later. So yep. then in 2004, we got – Metroid Zero Mission which was whoa like let's uh-huh. remake the original Metroid Zero Mission almost makes the original Metroid irrelevant no oh, like, you may, completely you may never have to play that yeah. game again because Zero Mission wisely learned from both Super Metroid and Fusion and I feel like and it even incorporated I, I, I wrote something for IGN uh, a blurb or something and I'm I, in the text for Zero Mission. Don't just call it a remake because it is not. They kind of coalesced everything that was happening with Metroid at the time. The Chozo lore and the uh, very, gr- like, chant-driven Metroid Prime soundtracks and the Morph Ball puzzles. They have, mm-hmm. like, Morph Ball cannons in Zero Mission, which yeah. I was just like, Japan picked up on what America was doing and made that and put that into a Japanese game. I was like... I, I feel like I had not seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At least in a series that was being handled by multiple hands at Nintendo. As as somebody who played
3: a ton of the original Metroid zero mission was a total delight for me. And it was sort of reminds me that you were talking before about seeing the special editions of star Wars and theaters and being like, that's weird
2: because
3: mm-hmm. George Lucas, when added all this stuff that he didn't need mm-hmm. zero mission, I kind of feel like it was sort of what George Lucas set out to do with the, with the uh, special editions, mm-hmm. which was just like, we're going to add a bunch of stuff and all of it's going to feel great. Like yeah. there's nothing in zero mission that I really felt
1: like I I wish you hadn't done that. How do you feel uh, about the zero
3: thing. suit stuff? Yeah,
1: I actually uh, we should we should get to that. Before we do, I just want to point out because we should talk about the zero suit stuff um, that the they also solved the narrative direction problem of fusion, where fusion was super chatty, right? And that yep. turned off a lot of people. They had these silent oh, and they would just point to where you were going, yeah, yeah and yeah. no one would say a freaking word, yeah. And I feel like that mm-hmm. was a, a direct response to man, you guys talk too much in fusion, yep. yeah, so, yeah, 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 And it's the same thing, and that's why when people come at me. So about, yo, Zero Mission was a better game. I'm like, honestly, Zero Mission just took away that text. Like, there are certain elements of it that are classic and that were always part of Metroid, but to act like Fusion wasn't an evolution in some ways, step off, buddy. Like, this game, Zero Mission learned from Fusion's mistakes. Well, yeah, I I appreciate
3: that, but I I do like the setting of Zero Mission better just because I like that sort of alien planet versus, like, uh, the spaceship setting of Fusion was sort of, fake. It was like, well, if we want to have a lava area, we'll just pretend there's a room on the spaceship that's full of lava. <laughs> yeah, but the kind
1: We of the, want a forest, there's a room on the but spaceship. But the world comes together. The world design eventually comes together. It's they isolated it at first, you're going through these separate chambers, and all of a sudden you're finding out, hey, these actually connect. And then yeah. it gets really cool from there, and sure. then you uncover the, all the Metroids and all yeah. that crazy stuff. Uh, so now, the Zero Suit part... Not a fan today. I was a fan in 2004. I thought, wow, this is so cool. This is backstory. This is how she got the big shoulder pads and all yeah. that stuff, which she, by the way, she had a Metro too. I played <laughs> it, uh, I want to say a month ago. Tedious, tedious it, stealth. It, Be- because it's,
2: because it's no longer it's no longer a break from the game for you. Yeah. You know, it's like it was at the time. I I liked it too. You know, I was like, wow, they really changed this—the stupid stun pistol and all of that. You mm-hmm. know, but but it was still it was a cool kind of scary part of the game where you're trying to sneak through.
1: Yeah, and, they take away yeah. all your powers. They yeah. basically took you down on the way from the space station, and it was like, whoa, there's an extra chapter in here. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like the novelty of knowing that at the time. I was in love with that part of the game. I go back to it now knowing what it is, and I'm just like, ah, this is very hit or miss stealth. Doesn't mm-hmm. feel as. As, 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 uh, like a solid stealth game, they just kind of yep. did what they could with what they it's
3: had. It's weird. It's weird for the franchise, for Absolutely.
1: sure. Absolutely. All right. And then, uh, going into, I mean, we, we probably don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but Prime 2 Echoes comes out November 2004. Two years only. Two years only. After Prime. And the same month as Halo 2, which yeah. was a juggernaut. Yeah. With huge expectations in terms of what it was going to do online with multiplayer. And it feels like. As much as Prime Two gets a lot of things right, and they tried to develop their own ideas, this is where the struggle begins. It's uh, and where Metro me, couldn't me, figure Prime, out what was
3: next. Prime Two is is Metroid's Skyward Sword to me. Yeah, in, in that it's it's fundamentally all there, but it doesn't come together to something that I really love. Okay, uh, and I really it was it, Prime Two was a big disappointment for me. Um, I didn't like how. Uh, they were neck and neck with Halo, and they were in – a, in, a, in a way, Prime was going in its own direction so differently. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that Prime 2 had multiplayer in mm-hmm. it, I said, why was that even a focus? And when I heard that multiplayer was a bunch of different Samuses running around these cramped – Split screen only. Split screen only. In these cramped environments,
1: I said, "Why?" I still to this day do not know why that was a thing. Well, you know why, because yeah. you needed
2: co- that
0: on the box. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well,
1: and couch co-op still had value, but the rest of the industry was embracing online. Yeah. And Nintendo was not having it. In <clears throat> and if you looked at if you looked at the sales trends of the
2: time too, it was very obvious that people wanted more value out of their games, so they were looking for games with multiplayer. But I'm, <laughs> wonder, I'm wondering where that directive came from. Like who top down told retro this there is was, what you needed to do. It was. I'm sure it was marketing direction, basically saying. Hey, all the games that are selling well now are are multiplayer enabled. Let's add a multiplayer mode to it. And, yeah. Yeah. Like, and it was I, only deathmatch. I have was, no problem with that. People always freak out when a franchise that's traditionally single player adds adds multiplayer. Um, let's not forget that's that's how we got some of the best experiences in in multiplayer gaming. Is somebody just took that step, right? Sure, like, but priority was somebody... not one of no, them. No, that wasn't it. But the <laughs> concept of like having these characters who can actually morph ball and do this thing, it could have made for a really cool totally game. Agree. Totally agree. And like you know, think of like a Splinter Cell. Um, you know, like when Splinter Cell did like Max versus uh, Spies and stuff. Yeah. Spies versus uh, mercs, mercs, not uh, mercs, Sorry, <laughs> what the? You're heck? thinking of Titanfall? No, no Spies versus <laughs> Mercs. Um, like how? When when somebody takes something as single player and creates something original, you actually have something really cool. So I, I kept an open mind and was similarly disappointed. Didn't yeah. Like it. But the problem with Metroid Prime Two, I felt like, was half of the game was spent in a place that I fundamentally did not like. Yes. Yes. It was supposed yes. to be punishing, right? Like the dark world. It has the if you haven't played it, has this light world, dark world setup, like kind of linked to the past, or you know, <laughs> Twilight Princess. And I, I feel like it suffers from a similar issue as Twilight Princess, where the dark world mechanics and the fact, like, it's like like, you're stuck in Gauntletville, man. You're losing mm-hmm. health the whole time. Yeah. You know, like I just didn't want to go into the Dark World. And so every time you go into the Dark World, I'm like, oh, crap, here we go. Yeah, it, it, at least uh, until you
1: get better suits to yeah, you, survive better. Yeah, it at could, first. Yeah. It's kind like kind uh, of, you get the light Suffocating, suit. yeah. To
3: me, it felt like a, a cop-out. Uh, and this, this, a lot of games did this sort of thing, especially when we moved games into the 3D space. It felt like a cop-out to me to... Uh, have a developer reuse an environment twice Mm. like they built something and they said well we can now shut all the lights off and put some ooze on the ground and make you play through the exact same thing again
1: I can see that but I do think the puzzle design was smart enough where they were able to communicate with you hey these worlds have a relationship because they're close together and if you do something in one it affects the other and I love when games get that right I love it yeah, when it's time based feeling to yeah. the past yeah. yeah there's a great feeling in knowing if I, drop, uh, if I drop a pebble in this world what happens to the other world right mm-hmm. and I think that that game does get some of that fundamentally right they also leaned on the doppelganger idea which guys Fusion did it first yeah. like you didn't have to do that Dark Samus uh, although Dark you can Samus can cool. Dark Samus sort of showed up up at the end of the first Prime, because you saw yeah. sort of the Metroid Prime carcass, something uh, survived. I think it was after the credits, or right before. I don't quite remember the specifics, but um,
2: yeah, it, it just—it well, was not as menacing. Like the 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 two D game had you cowering at the top of the, stri- the screen while S A X was looking for you at the bottom, yeah. right? And so it was—it was just like the movie Alien, where yep. Sigourney Weaver is hiding and that thing is stalking her. Yeah. But in this game, it was kind of like here it is, you know, now there's a boss fight rather than this constant yeah. menace of the character.
1: But one thing I think we left out with Prime, and w- and it was still true in Prime 2 Echoes, was that the boss design was fantastic. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Great boss design, yeah. hands down, delivered. And that was something that, again, carried over from Super Metroid. Prime nailed it. Prime 2 still nailed it despite the world being, yeah. uh, it, despite the rest of the game not coming the other way it should have.
2: And then Prime 2 tried to do kind of what modern, Games at the time were doing like adding voice acting, Mm -hmm. having like character cutscenes. They weren't as slick as in some of the other Mm -hmm. high production games of the time. Like like, Mm -hmm. you could tell they didn't invest a lot into voice acting or anything like that. It was kind of cool that they're experimenting with it, and you had some creepy moments where like human soldiers were being taken over
1: by By the 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 ing. Yeah, that's right, (laughs) the little ink guys. Oh, let's replace the K with a G. Mm -hmm. Got it, got Mm -hmm. it. Okay, so uh, then let's uh, let's take one more quick break, and when we come back. We have a bit more history to go through in this very special Nintendo Voice chat all about Metroid. back. Jose Otero here with Brian Altano and Per Schneider, and you are listening to a very special NBC focused on the Metroid series. And for this next portion of our conversation, I actually want to talk about the two Metroid oddities. The things that we didn't think it would work where, exa- where on the platform that they did, but for whatever reason, they both had strong qualities, despite mm. not really feeling like Metroid games, for the most part. Um, and one of them actually is very much a Metroid game. So Metroid Prime Pinball, which came out in October 20, uh, excuse me, October 2005, on the DS, and Metroid Prime Hunters, which was also on the DS, released in March 2006, but was a demo that came with your Nintendo DS, your fat, D H A T. fatty. Yes, Uh, so let's talk about those two. You love Metroid Prime Pinball. I do too. I, yeah, I yeah. Cool. I I I uh, didn't
3: think I would. Um, it's so weird to look back at this era and go, man, we had like seven Metroid games in th- in in just a few many years, and we haven't had one in ages now. Um, now I would even take a Metroid Prime pinball because right? it just means someone at <laughs> Nintendo
2: is like, sure, Metroid something. Here you go. It's weird how they forget once in a while. They're yeah. Like, okay. I mean, you guys love this stuff, but hold on a second.
3: And yeah. it was I yeah. I actually. Uh, I really liked Metroid Prime Pinball because it was perfect for uh, the handheld format. Yeah. Uh, the shoulder buttons worked great as uh, flippers. And I felt like I grew up playing a lot of video pinball games. And it, sometimes they would take characters we love and they would shoehorn them into a ball to try to make sense of it, like Sonic Spinball, Kirby, a Pokeball, uh, Mario Pinball, which was awful, which didn't make any sense. And a lot of times it didn't make a lot of sense. But
1: uh, this Me- one made sense. This one made sense. When the DS yeah. helped ball. It, having yeah. two screens, right? Yeah. That really helped. Helped with the perspective. It yeah, made
2: having, me want a real table, man. I know, Just I know. A real Metroid pinball table would have been so perfect. And it was—it
3: was very clever. I mean, you got missiles, and you fought bosses, yeah. and there were really uh, waves bad. of enemies that you would fight, yeah. uh, depending on different uh, circumstances. You would trigger the music was was really was really good. The uh, the art was great. Everything looked like it was built in the Metroid Prime universe, but also could have been built
2: as a real. Pinball table. Aside from animated characters walking across it, yeah, and then, then the but they could have probably faked that somehow, but like yes. the, but then you had the DS with a two screen setup too, so you finally had a vertical table setup. Like it seemed like a you know marriage made in heaven, yeah, like the yeah. two screens and the Metroid franchise. I really liked that game. You know, I like I felt like it didn't have as much content in it as I wanted. In the end, I wish there were more tables and more things to do. But um, it's still, it, it It was a good game. It was a fun game. Fuse uh, made it, right? They, mm-hmm. did, they did a nice job.
1: Yeah, and then you had Metroid Prime Hunters, which, as Didn't mentioned, like. was, a, well, so it gave you a lot to like, though, when it was a demo included with your sure. Nintendo DS, because you were like, whoa, a Metroid, like, look how well it transferred, right? Like, it had its own control scheme using the stylus. You were basically aiming on the bottom touchscreen. You, you were losing, excuse me, you were using the left bumper to fire, <laughs> and you were handling movement with the D-pad. And it it worked so well, and it looked really good. Developed by Mm -hmm. Nintendo Software Technologies, which is an American branch of the company. uh, They handle a couple of other games, but not many. Yeah, up in Redmond. uh, But oddly enough, when the game came out, when the final product was delivered, its multiplayer was amazing. Because you can link up with people locally and just play and do death matches and have some fun with that. But its single player was dreadful. It was awful. Like well, yes. didn't They're,
3: feel right so uh, something we didn't talk about before I don't know how we missed over this but a lot of the Metroid games or uh, you know I, I, I believe at least you know the original one Zero Mission I think Prime did this too they end in this uh, sequence where escape. you need to escape and things explode and uh, Metroid Prime first hunt when it came to the original DS the day the DS came out um it was strange, and it was cumbersome, and it was hard to play, but you got used to it. And you finished it, and it said, you know, coming soon. And I don't think it came for years. Yeah, it didn't come for a year. It had not come for a long time. And when it did, it was predominantly a multiplayer game, and they brought in all these new uh, characters that they'd never done before. And the multiplayer was okay. You know, I actually thought – I didn't think it was as great as you thought it was, but I thought it was just – it was, it was hard fun. to play that game for a long time. Yeah, you get But it cranks. was cool. Like and it was it was a it was a, a feat to see them pull something like that off on a handheld. Um, but the single player
1: yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah just technical the, the, the single efficiency. player story
3: wise had one glaring flaw and that was you went from planet to planet, collecting things, fighting enemies, beating a boss, and then doing that escape sequence where the planet would be shown exploding, and then you would return to that planet. <laughs> which makes no damn sense what at all. What,
0: point gigawatts? You blew it
1: up, and then you come back, and it's there again. You're like, did everyone fix this? Well, and the boss fights weren't memorable, yeah. you know, especially yeah. when you fought other bounty hunters. I mean, the AI was dreadful. They yeah. just yeah. ran around and shot so, at you.
2: So here's the thing. like, I can, If there are some people out there who really liked it because of what it showcased on the 3DS, namely first-person shooter multiplayer gameplay, right? I can totally understand that. What this game signified to me was One, the DS is not a platform for first-person shooters. I did not like, I love the feeling of tactile shooting and jumping with buttons and it made it impossible because you had to use the stylus or you had to use a stupid nub on your finger, which didn't feel quite quite right sure, to me. Sure, sure.
1: I would challenge that a little though and say maybe it just wasn't meant for like sort of high action type shooters yeah. because you had things like Dementium the Ward, you had games like Moon that were much slower paced and more deliberate yeah, yeah, yeah. with but the action. Whereas I'm talking like about action, FPS. Yeah, specifically like yep. trying to do like a high action FPS just yeah. didn't feel right. Look, Metroid Prime
2: could have been done on the DS, you know, mm-hmm. technically oh, yeah. it would have been a challenge, but. But the gameplay-wise, it would have worked. I feel like the faster FPS, it showed that this was not the platform to it. Two, it showed what would have happened if Metroid Prime had been an FPS and not a first-person adventure yes. focus. And, yes. like, the stuff I loved about my, Metroid Prime was all but absent from Hunters. And, like, I just – I thought it was okay, but I thought it was utter, utterly unremarkable. And mm-hmm. if you removed Samus and the music from the game, it would be a run-of-the-mill well, I mean, the music wasn't that iguana – yeah. Shoot! It would yeah. be our Marines. I
3: mean, it was right back to the same problems Turok had, right? Like jumping was hard in that game. You had to double tap this touch screen mm-hmm. to jump, and then you had to put it back on and guide it around to look and shoot. Uh, activating
1: missiles too were a little. Po- it was like a little button. It on It was the a button in the itself. corner. It was yeah. very
3: cumbersome. It was difficult because you really they I don't they they realized that you only had access to a few buttons once you had your finger. Yeah. You basically had the the trigger. That was it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all you could do. Um, so, and it was interesting. I, I'm glad they tried it, but yeah, me too. First person shooters on the DS were never a good idea because at some point in the lineage of video games uh, it became true that uh, first person shooters became synonymous with the best graphics that you can possibly produce at the time. Like Every first person shooter game has always been uh, a, a And also a showcase for how great graphics can be. Mm -hmm. Like if the new Call of Duty came out and it looked worse than last year's, you'd never hear the end of it, right? If Titanfall wasn't pushing everything that system could do, you'd never hear the end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So in some ways, first-person shooters were always doomed on the Nintendo DS. And I think they wanted to make them a thing there. And for some reason, they decided to use Metroid as their scapegoat for that because Metroid had been closest to the precipice of becoming a first-person shooter, but it missed the point, you know, and it missed yeah. the the atmosphere that Prime had, it missed
2: the platforming that Prime had, it missed yeah. the story that Prime
3: I had. Think it just
1: looked good. That yeah, was it all looked, it it. It looked good. Yeah. yeah.
2: And it is absolutely the product. And I don't mean this in a in a callous way, but it was the product of marketing in a mm-hmm. way, right? Where it's like you're looking at the market of video games out there, and every investor is talking about FPS. Every retailer is saying we want FPS. Every kid wants to buy FPS, even though those, those kids who are not supposed to play them yet. And like that was that genre was so big and becoming even bigger at the time that Nintendo probably looked around and said, "Crap, what can we do? You know, like what plat- What games can we get on our platform that actually tap into?" Well, and that they
1: market. had the PSP to worry about, which was a much trumpeted like, "Hey, this is going to be the." the this slick piece of hardware mm-hmm. that yeah. brings the yeah. console experience as a, as a as an awesome portable. And remember when we had Mike Micah in, he actually talked a little bit about how marketing uh, sort of brought about, like, a port of Gauntlet where they went all out. Was that that story? Do you remember yeah. when he was here and he was talking about how, you know, their, their research showed that's what people wanted. They wanted action games. They wanted to show that their lineup was just as good as what PSP was going to do. And then when they completely overtook it, they were like, you know what? It's okay. We actually don't need it. We're going to pay for it anyway. Here you go. But we actually don't need this project yeah. anymore. Yeah. I th- yeah. still want to play that game. Yeah, I know. Same here. Um, well, we know the guy who has it. So um, then, uh, okay, so then transitioning there, let's talk about um, – Sort of the last two Metroids we got. Corruption. So we got Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, which was on the Wii. Um, this was uh, August 2007. This is actually a month before Halo 3. Uh, and I keep bringing up Halo because I feel like Metroid and Halo have accidentally been colliding in the in the fall. <laughs> and uh, whereas whereas Halo has kind of been sort of leading leaps and bounds in terms of online and connectivity and game types and customization, uh, Metroid has kind of still been a in my mind at least a much better single player oh, game of course, yeah. than a multiplayer yep. game yeah. Um, I, and I, I
2: really enjoy all the, all the Halo games I oh, same. every yeah. main and and uh, you know side reach and ODST exactly. game like I enjoy those games but they never quite had the feeling of a working world like the world is almost like a backdrop yeah. and in Metroid the world is full of little things you
1: can interact yeah.
2: with and it changes and it's just sweet
1: and it definitely points to the differences between those two games where Metroid is a lot more adventure focused and Halo is not, and mm-hmm. that's not a slam. Like that's just yep. the reality, at least to me, and I feel to you guys as well, unless you disagree. We had our first we installment. Uh, the pointer and nunchuck method really worked well for Metroid. Yeah, it did surprisingly well. And you um, could you could
2: ch- uh, change the sensitivity too, so it actually like you could make it even more sensitive, well, and you, it worked you needed really it well. More sensitive because yeah.
1: standard controls, it was just you know turn and turn. Right, yeah. just Go read a magazine and come back because you're still turning. to yeah. yeah, forever. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and again, uh... this, this
3: was sort of Nintendo saying, "Let's take Metroid and make it our first-person shooter. Like, let's let's shoehorn it into. I think everyone saw when when the Wii and Nunchuck were first unveiled, uh, people saw the potential for that being the the just the new analog sticks mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and the new mouse Gun and control. keyboard almost. Yeah, yeah like this yeah. this is gonna be this is this <laughs> will redefine first-person shooters. And again, uh, the Graphical parity that people expect uh, with first-person shooters—just you couldn't really maintain on the Wii, yeah—and yeah. Um, that's where great art direction comes in and I think oh, yeah. that's where uh, uh, pro- uh, retro really soars you know? and, and, yeah.
2: and then you know red steel kicked things off yeah. in, a, in a negative light right like yep. the concept of wielding a gun was great but it didn't feel right and the moment you wanted to turn 180 degree- degrees it didn't work and you so started Metroid Prime and, and some other games like Eurocom had a couple of shooters at the time too where they just created a smaller box for the reticule to move into and like when you got to the edge it started to turn faster oh, yeah. they, they perfected it in 3 and, and yeah. Metroid Prime 3 it worked really well.
1: Yeah, and I'm really glad you pointed out that art direction is kind of what saves this thing because this this game's unfortunate timing was that next gen had started. Yeah. Right? yeah, Halo Three and everything else that was on other platforms. And granted, we were always used to that with PC, but now it was consoles that it were was also right there. Yeah, it was them. in the
3: store right but, next to it.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and but still, like props to Retro Studios for amazing art direction. When you got to Skytown, you were just like, holy cow! Oh, That's yeah. the this one with direction? all the
2: rails going around. Yes, yeah, right? you were just like, it wow. looks like.
1: Looks so good, yeah. But um, then uh, you sort of had other things that didn't work right at all, like the human faces and and the sort of anything that was trying to be photorealistic, like take it home. The purple bounty hunter yeah. girl, take her home. Yeah, she she yeah. needed like really bad redesign. Yeah. Um, but again, they did that. They did
3: that thing where they, they started bringing extra characters into the into right. the story, which they didn't do with Prime one and two for the most part. You know, and it was all yeah. of a sudden you have. Uh, you're on a ship with a bunch of space marines and their yeah. helmets are opening up and they're talking to you and, it's, and it and was it cool though, to build like out
2: a, the universe I,
1: d- I didn't mind that it just wasn't it didn't look beautiful or well, yeah, impressive it didn't you know? feel Metroid either it felt a lot more action focused and yeah. enemies took a lot of bullets to kill the headshot was practically useless because it mm-hmm. didn't really employ that yeah. it was more about just fire and shoot and, and sort of do your thing Th- but it still had it's cool ideas too it had the ice missiles which I thought was a really cool mechanic I remember one part in the game where there's lava overflowing out of these pipes and you have to freeze it with the missiles yeah. and jump on it as platforms. Like, there's always the genius Zelda. sort of, yeah, yeah like, Zelda-ish yeah, yeah, yeah. ideas to it all. Well, I love the welding. Mm. Like, I loved yeah, Anytime yeah. you, like, you got to, like, open
2: a door by, like, yanking it mm-hmm. and yeah. it actually worked and the welding worked really well, I thought that interaction, like, those moments of, like, just kind of tinkering with the controls and having the time to like focus on something were really successful. There were mm-hmm. others where it felt like more like Surgeon Simulator when you're like trying to press the buttons in the ship and you're like, Yeah, eh, yeah, eh, <laughs> eh, yeah, eh. <laughs> like, and it doesn't quite work, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I do remember
3: like the grappling hook felt great when you nailed it, like, yep. it was all contingent yep. on that. Like, when you got that perfect motion down, mm-hmm. it just felt awesome to whip your hand out, grab something, and pull it back in, and you feel like the r- little rumble and everything like that. And that was a- outside of just the basic shooting mechanic which I felt very very natural felt very good mm-hmm. uh, but yeah there was a few times where they would just be like you'd be sitting there twisting both your arms in the air being like what am I yeah. doing yeah. with my life <laughs>
1: yeah totally true <laughs> uh, there was uh, the fight with Ridley too I love in the tunnel where you're falling through oh sort of yeah that yeah yeah one of the oh, coolest things yeah. I think they've ever done yeah, and the boss design again. once again like memorable like really good boss design re- despite the fact that they were on hardware that was inferior and it felt like it like mm-hmm. I feel like and we've talked about this before if Metroid Prime made a return on Wii U I think it would it could still stand toe to toe only because, with the right art direction, like they don't look that underpowered. Like, yeah. Regardless no. of what you did on Wii, like you still ran into that wall. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. 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 You know this
2: game could, this franchise could really soar on the Wii U, and I, I hope we get another prime. I thought the way they handled the first person is just awesome. Mm-hmm. And like I do think yeah, you know, even without pointer controls using the visor as the screen on your on your display, mm-hmm. on your on your gamepad, and like using dual analog, I think it could be a really cool game.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um so then you know, talking about that, and then the other game being, unle- I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's other more to and say. And so that's
2: all the Metroid
1: games. So it's been really <laughs> no, cool. We're no, to you guys no, no, no. Good, good In night, August, children. Uh, and you know, it's, keep a uh, lock to IGN for all. 2010. <laughs> oh. Metroid Other M happened. Uh-huh. So wait, let, let's not let, let's not take a dump on Metroid Other M. No, too, it's, it's too not, hard. It's, yeah, it's, it's really not. It's not. Too not it's not. It's not as bad. It is a. As people a a have unique at collaboration it. between Nintendo and Teen Ninja. It's also the first time Sakamoto has touched the series in years. He sat out the uh, the um, Metroid Prime era for the mm-hmm. most part. That actually was produced by Kensuke Tanabe. who uh, he, he was the guy who was the liaison between Nintendo and sure. Retro Studios. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> terrible story, unfortunately. Um, just not, again, you know, sort of Samus had something to say and all of us were really uninterested. It felt... I'm sure localization did the best they could, but a lot of it was really uninteresting. Even names for things like the bottle ship were just like, who in their right mind wrote this, and why is this a thing? Um, It had decent mechanics, though, to be fair. Like it did figure out how to do the one controller to do to sort of have first-person elements like Metroid Prime, but also still be Mm. an exploration game. But it didn't feel right because Mm. putting all that stuff to the D-pad. Was not maybe now, the best And idea why did it have for. to
2: be only on the freaking? They wanted <laughs> simplicity, <laughs>
1: so they've had interviews where how's that simple? It, was it wasn't stupid. simple. It was one interface. It's it, it sort of like holding an NES controller again to them. That's what they wanted to. Re-capture. If the NES
2: controller was not at all comfortable to hold, that way. <laughs> no, like ah!
1: no. Here was the thing. Like I feel like again to, to this day, I
2: feel like turning the Wii remote sideways is a compromise. It's a hey, I don't have enough money to buy a real controller. Like that's yeah. what it feels like yeah. to me. It does not feel comfortable to reach over and hit that little trigger underneath no, with your finger in never. the Smash Brothers. Either, Nor did it and feel so comfortable to hit
3: the the big uh, what was the the A button on top. Like it just it never felt right. And
2: I actually really liked the grip on the nunchuck and holding both controllers at the same time. So it was baffling to me that with the additional buttons and like what would have been much more comfortable controls they chose not to support them it was yeah. so weird
1: no it, it it was sort of a weird like you almost think it's an ex- accessibility play right where they just wanted it to to make it something that they was easy for cool. people to understand and to make this thing cool and unfortunately like, i'm not going to turn the it. controller it, it yeah. wasn't
3: cool it worked but it wasn't cool so i i previewed that game and I went to a preview event for it, and they brought a bunch of us into a room in a, in a night. I think it was like the W Hotel in San Francisco. And what they do in a situation like that, as you guys know, is they rent out a whole floor, and they get a bunch of these, this whole hall, and they transform into something, and they put dark curtains up everywhere.
1: And then an earthquake happened. No, oh, God. God. God.
3: And then they put up a they bunch of... An earthquake? What is that? Earth? Uh, earthquake. Is that, that that's that's a New York earthquake. Let's go. Uh-huh.
1: Exactly. <laughs> 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 Don't do this now. <laughs> uh, so there's like
3: six rooms in a row, and they're all made of curtains, and there's just little TV's, and you sit down in front of the couches there were these little Metroid statues and we all went in and I sat down and they said we're going to be playing the new game Metroid Other M and I walked into the room and I sat down and uh, I was like you uh, you forgot the nunchuck there's, there's only a Wii remote in there and they're like no you play the whole game with the Wii remote and I was like Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) So they close the curtain thing, and I sit down, and I'm playing it, and uh, you're just playing it sideways. And I'm like, this is kind of like Super Metroid. I kind of like this idea. It's more action-oriented. It's pretty smart. Mm. And then something happened. It was almost like a QTE, and you had to flip the controller and point it at the screen and then turn it back. And I thought it was one of the most disorienting moves in in the history of video games. It
1: takes some adjustment. To do that. Yeah.
3: and I walked out of the preview, kind of scratching my head. And they did. They, it's interesting because as I was walking out, the PR person was like, "You know, what did you think? Do you like it?" And I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, love it." And yeah. then I left, and I came back to IGN and talked to a bunch of people, and we were all like, "Man, that I would have told them
1: like hey no offense, but yeah. you guys got some good things and some what is this about?' Well, it's like
3: usually it's not that guy making the game. No, it's sort I'm of like sure. yelling at your waiter when no, the no,
1: I mean, I don't mean they... yell. I just I would tell them. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. they,
2: I mean I feel like they fell in love with the concept, right? Like the concept is you're holding this control, and then it's almost like you're drawing the gun from your hip and pointing yeah. at the screen, right? Like they felt like it meant like, okay, now I'm springing to action and I'm shooting my gun at the screen, yeah. and they fell in love with that concept when in fact I I have met only few people who said that was successful and worked and you yeah. wouldn't have preferred a different setup.
1: And they worked it into boss fights. I remember one of the early boss fights in that game you have to use a, I think it's like an ice beam to freeze certain parts of them and then you switch to the missile to yeah. shoot the
3: frozen mm-hmm. ice And portion. it did feel good here and there. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I, I will say a lot of people talk about that game in a negative way uh, Including us. Including us uh, over the controls which yeah. I think you know, I just, I just had a problem with I just talked about mm-hmm. that but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't it wasn't my biggest problem. A lot of people get mad at the characters and the storyline. Young line. Samus was annoying, young, right? Young Samus was annoying. The her, the, the thumbs thing, like the uh, her who was it? Adam, her boyfriend, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, so it
1: incorporates was. Adam Malkovich, who was part of the Metroid Fusion storyline. And
3: Malkovich. a lot of people had a problem with that. I honestly, I was like, I, this is unnecessary, but this is not a deal breaker for me. This is a backdrop to me. My problems with other M were that. It was the way we, I talked about Fusion before, about how you're in a spaceship, and there's a lava room, or there's a forest room. But all of the things in that game, they were simulations – so basically, you would walk into a room, and this holographic simulation of a lava monster would show up. You weren't really fighting any of it, and you didn't get—you never felt powerful because instead of gaining powers and attributes, you would have a voice over the loudspeaker, "Hey, I'll let you use your ice beam in here."
1: Oh, thanks. That thanks was really dumb. Yeah. Yes, the fact that uh, Sa- uh, Samus was subservient to yeah. basically to a, a traffic a cop
3: telling you how fast you could drive—like it was unbelievable to me. I wanted to – like Samus is a badass. And that, those games are about. Making your character stronger and stronger and destroying enemies around you in a fashion that you couldn't do in the first hour, and this game, no matter how far you were, would say you you can use missiles in here.
2: Yeah, and it would have been cool if there was a point to it, right? Like yeah. if, if Samus had actually grown to be uncontrollable in like a bigger like this, if the storyline had built up to the fact that she was kind of suppressed and then like broke out, and but but the story. It didn't flow right. No. like it didn't. It never got to like a satisfying conclusion that way. I did like going back to the game. I did enjoy a lot of things about it. I do feel like in in parts it really feels like a Metroid game. There's some cool bosses. Mm-hmm. I don't like 3D movement with a D pad with a digital D pad. I thought that was awkward. Also, right? those like, the
1: sections where they put the camera behind you and yeah. you're kind of exploring like a detective yeah. did not work. But like, what but was that about
2: the, the story? I always I kind of chuckled at it from time to time. I'm like, man, this is like an anime. You know, it's yeah. like it's like a Japanese anime where like there are really cool ideas, some crazy concepts, and then some stuff where you're like, "What?" <laughs> you know? Well,
1: and it starts at a point that is sacred to a lot of Metroid fans, which is the boss fight with Mother Brain at the end of Super Metroid.
3: Yeah, yeah. and they
1: have this elaborate cutscene. It's like, "Hey guys, remember this? We're not going to do anything like yeah, this yeah, in yeah. this yeah. game." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I guess to some degree, and maybe this is hype, like me kind of hyping this up, but uh, it, Metroid fans felt. Betrayed. Yeah. It's like, what happened?
3: But well, you know, I'm ready to forgive because it feels like I went to a friend's house and they cooked a bad meal and then they never... Wanted to cook again after that, and now I'm like, look, the meal was bad, but I'm over it. I'm ready to come out. I want to eat more. It's- I'm starving.
2: Yeah, no. Again, I think it's I. I kind of want to replay this game. Like, I want to go back and replay it. How I dare honestly, you. I want to replay all the Metroid games. Yeah, me games. too. Yeah. And Super podcast, Metroid I recently yeah. played, which it's just so awesome. No, yeah. but I want to check out other M again and see like if it if it holds up at all. I do. I do remember thinking everybody is angry about the decisions made with the star and the controls and I'm not actually seeing all the good in the game as well which there were some really clever oh, man, ideas the, the,
1: the dodge mechanic was awesome how if you like just tap the D-pad yeah. when something was coming at you you would automatically do like a barrel sort of like roll or a, do- a barrel roll mm-hmm. and uh, you would come up and you'd be fired cool. you'd be locked yeah. on Yeah, they had like cool little slow motion ideas like that but ultimately it yeah, did not pan out the way we want let me ask you guys this is has Metroid run its course I see. So this is what I, I don't understand, right? And this is what baffles me. Like I,
3: you, right in front of you right now, you have your Super Smash Brothers Limited Edition 3DS. There's a picture of Samus on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nintendo Land launched with the Wii U. There was a Samus uh, theme minigame in it, mm-hmm. right, where mm-hmm. you could. Uh, Pilot her ship and a bunch of the characters. The Cliff Notes
1: version of Metroid. Yeah, the yeah.
3: Cliff Notes version of Metroid. Samus isn't smashed. Samus pops up here and there in, in little things. It's 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 on their on their site in their notes. It's an amiibo. Like there's a Samus Aran amiibo. Like this is a character they care about, but not enough to do anything substantial with anymore. And I don't know if that just means they're taking a few years off because if you, you talk about this during this podcast, mm-hmm. we talk about how how many Metroid games happened within a few years' span. Like, I would gladly have taken two less back then and just taken one more of those now just to sort of spread it out a little bit. I
1: mean, I think part of it's the struggle to what to do next, Yeah, right? Honestly, I mean, they put Retro on Donkey Kong Country and they revived that franchise but then didn't bother to put them back. Also, Retro's gone through some changes, let's be fair. Uh, Back in, like, 2009, I want to say, or 2010, after – Corruption had shipped, and I think right after Trilogy or right before it came out, a bunch of key people who worked on Metroid had left Retro Studios to form their own thing. And so Retro might be really different these days. Uh, some of Retro's people actually worked on Halo 4, which honestly enough looked like a Metroid game. It did, yeah. yeah. I remember it starts that. like a
2: Metroid game, yep. complete with the 00G zero, zero stuff and everything yeah. too. Yeah. Um no, I, I do think like Metroid is one of those franchises where like the core EAD team and you know R&D team don't, don't quite own it anymore and so I think they were happy to find a new custodian in Retro. And then after the third game, it it did it had run its course like there was definitely a bit of a fatigue where you thought like alright that's as far as they can take it with this franchise on this kind of hardware um, now some time has passed like I feel like what Nintendo should have done and, and you know as they as we talk about franchise care you gotta keep a franchise alive by, by releasing new games Earthbound's a great example where a once beloved franchise is so dormant now right? Yeah. Even though people love the characters in Smash Brothers but they should have taken at least the 2D Metroid concept and gone to chair entertainment or capable 2D developer out there and said okay we're gonna give you a storyline some basic ideas and you run with it and it would've been a good game yeah, instead, 100% I'm totally on, with you on yeah, that yeah
1: but instead everyone on Kickstarter is trying to make that game well like, everybody's making it gets on my nerves like sure. every other week I feel like there's another freaking Metroid project that someone's trying to revive and I'm like no, like I want something but, that's going to be the next step. Well, the, not ki- the Super king Metroid hasn't again.
3: walked into the room
1: yet and thrown yeah, the and crown down on
3: the ground and kicked some ass. Like, I, that's I, the I'd problem. Yeah,
1: and I don't want to be rude to those guys because I appreciate what they're doing. Like, at the end of the day, they're making a game in a genre that they love, and we love that sure. genre too. But I want the next thing that is Metroid and it, not a cover is, song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've heard enough covers at this point. Yeah, I want yeah. the real thing. Well, so, but and,
2: that puts more pressure on the next thing to be something special, right? Because some of these indie projects are really, really good. There's yeah. some, the, you know, 2D games that are refreshing. And awesome and very very Metroid, and so Nintendo either find a capable finds a capable external developer or they put one of their teams that's wasting their time quite quite frankly on a Kirby game on a two D game like that for once. Calling right? them out, no, right. no, no, like I mean I I I, I like the Kirby games, I, you know they're great for for kids and I enjoy playing them too. But like there sure is a lot of them compared to yeah. Metroid games, right? And so instead of coming up with yet another knitted Kirby game or something yeah. or or another Yoshi game, let's let's try it. New- Super Metroid. Like, and you know, I, I, like, I love what I'm you kidding. said,
3: too, about sort of having having a uh, a, a 2D one happen in the, in the interim, be, in the time that it takes them to figure out what to do with the 3D one next. Like, play with the interest there. Like, do a 2D one. And what I was talking about with Jose the other day, would, uh, an, an awesome example of how to do something with like that, is to give uh, Metroid 2 the sort of zero-mission treatment, mm-hmm. you know? Make that a 3DS game. Put Metroid 2 on 3DS, remade in full color with a map and tons of new areas and environments and bosses. Like, Use that as sort of a shell and build from Mm -hmm. there. Um, And if it sells well, then people care about this franchise. And if it doesn't, then maybe this thing's dead. Yeah. But in in the time it takes you to find the developer and find the direction, do you want a third person, first person, is it an action platformer, is it a survival horror, whatever you want to figure out. In the meantime, just give me a damn 2D Metroid so,
2: game to play so what would you guys think if you know at E3 Nintendo announces Metroid well, made by Namco Bandai? well there was that thing
1: a couple what was it did you get that last part? I, uh, yeah, because well, that could happen, right? Okay, like, I, if, could, but, deal that, I could deal could with that. It could also happen that it's retro, right? Because we know retro is next. Retro's next game started. It started months ago. Yeah, yeah. they've been working on it for yeah, a bit. They're Donkey, not ready Donkey to Kong tell everyone what 3. it is. If it's Donkey Kong Country Three, there will be a lot of <laughs> disappointment, and I'm sure Was it, people at Lint- Nintendo who either have access to this or know people who listen to this know for a fact that it'll if be. They show up at E3, and it is Donkey Kong Country. Returns it won't be Donkey Kong Three. Was it? Was it last year? There'll be riots in the streets. It'll be
2: Donkey Kong sixty-five
1: you were going to say
3: was it last year at the VGAs where Reggie showed up and he had a little Samus pin and he's just like wow I love Samus ha 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 I asked him about that come
2: on come on I asked him about that E3 off camera I'm like so is this a hint he's like no you know it's just like it was like a it it was like a last minute thing you know Mm. just like it honestly you got the sense that he wasn't teasing anything on purpose it was just like you know they love these characters and he, and somebody gave him the good pin. Quick, next
1: time just
3: get a, a next time just get a pin of a middle finger <laughs>
2: <laughs> no but i do i do want to see if retro can do another Metroid Prime-style game. Or or at this point, they could probably do a third-person one because so many games have come out since then who've shown that the third-person perspective in a shooter can work. And, like, you know, Metroid Prime came out at a time where Nintendo was really worried about third-person shooters because of Jet Force Gemini and, like, some of the games that weren't as Mm well-received comparatively to this. So I would love to see Retro do it. Retro got a lot of flack back when they made Metroid 2 where, like, if you read stories about the making, sometimes people say, like, Nintendo came in and fixed the whole project's like, come on, give me a break. You know what they had must have looked really, really good already. There's no way to just come in say, make this first person, and then magically everything works. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the, the core of the game and the quality of the design was already there before they made that decision. Yeah. So
1: your message, bounty hunters, hang on to hope. I, I think so. Iran will will hopefully fly again someday. Yep. Uh, and I think it'll be at D3. You I think, think the announcement. Next I think the announcement will, will be it? at E3. Yeah, that's ballsy. But yeah. you have said ballsy things on this show before, and some have panned out. So yeah. we'll see. What can I say? He can see into the future. He's a medium. Deal. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. This was a very long special episode. Please don't expect these every week, but why not? Metroid, we love it. We know you love it, and we wanted to talk about it. Um, so we are a weekly show on IGN, but we are not the only podcast on IGN. There are plenty of other podcasts and shows and features and videos, and we would love if you came to the site and check them out because some of them are really worth your time. Also, if you like Nintendo Voice Chat, uh, and again, you can download us on any podcast service that you use, head on over to iTunes, leave us a review, or send us feedback, nvc at ign.com. Also, for you, listener, send us your your impressions on... Pick a Metroid game, send us your impressions, write up a couple of sentences. We'll read a couple on the air next week, uh, your Metroid memories as they were. So... With that, we're at the end of the show. You can find Brian Altano at... Agent Bizzle. You can find Pear at... Pear IGN. And you can find myself, Jose underscore Otero, on Twitter. Head off into the galaxy, which is now dormant and maybe at peace. But Metroid will be back, we promise. Hopefully. We <laughs> hope. And we'll see you next week.